Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi, that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. You ever been defeated? Have you ever, ever felt inside of you that there was no way out? There's no hope. It's done. It's over. It's something that, that you did, that, that I did. It's something that was done to you, and there is no hope. Defeated. You ever been in that spot? The children of Israel find themselves there in Joshua chapter 7. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Joshua 7. And as you do, let me just drive the question home a little more. You ever been defeated in, in a marriage? Something that, that you brought on yourself in the marriage. Something that was done to you in that marriage. You ever been defeated in other family relationships, other friend relationships? You see right now looking at your finances that it is over. There is no hope. Defeated. If you brought that upon yourself, you come to that place and you are defeated yourself. You you sinned and you just think there is no hope. At all. Remind you of a statement that I have made over and over here in conversations with you one-on-one possibly and from this platform even. You and I need to be reminded that bad is bad, yes, but good is also good. And bad has to be bad if good is going to be good. We are going to see something that is extremely bad. We're going to see a whole nation defeated. But also we will see that nation have hope even in the midst of defeat. Joshua chapter 7, I'm going to read for us the first 15 verses of the chapter. As I read these verses, think about defeat. Think about Joshua. Think about your life even and Possibly, possibly battles that you have lost recently, or even those that possibly are not so recent. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard of the devoted things. That, that word, devoted things, let me just stop right there. It's, it's a, a Hebrew word that is harem, H-E-R-E-M. It is a set aside or set apart for a particular purpose of destruction. The children of Israel, the people of Israel broke faith in regard of the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, same word, 
the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from uh, went up there from the people, and they fled. They fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of the men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabiram and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Verse 6. Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that you have been content, excuse me, would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, What can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Don't you love how the Lord is just straightforward? Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. I have, they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe of the Lord, excuse me, the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Heavenly Father, as we spend some moments of time today, God, as we spend it looking at defeat, I'm so thankful, Lord, that the chapter does not end there. Father, the chapter does not end with with the children of Israel defeated 
against Ai or any of the other inhabitants in Israel. God, you continue to work. Thank you for the hope. Would you remind us of that today as we see defeat? Would you also remind us of the victory that is found in you? God, speak to these men and these women, to these students, to us this morning in such a way, Father, that it's personal. We see it. We hear you. God, that we might, too, come back to you. Ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. I know some of you are thinking, you just passed right over the the victory. The victory that the children of Israel's, the children of Israel partook in that of the destruction of Jericho. Well, maybe I did. So let's look at it real quickly. Last off, we saw Joshua outside of Jericho and he is there and Jesus shows up. The captain of the Lord's army shows up to him face to face in Joshua chapter five, verses 13 through 15. And he, Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And Jesus is like, nope, that's wrong question. I am the captain of the Lord's army. The question is not am I on your side, but ultimately are you on my side? Because if not, the sword's drawn and you're going to be taken out. That's the picture. From that, Jesus told Joshua what he was to do with the children of Israel. And here is the battle plan. The battle plan is for six consecutive days, they are to take all the army of Israel with the Ark of the Covenant and the Levites in front with their trumpets, and they are to walk around the city of Jericho one time in silence doing some study on the city of Jericho, here's a couple of things that I learned about that city. That city was about 10 acres in width. 10 acres. That city had a wall. Actually, it had two walls, an inside wall, but then an outside wall, and that outside wall was was almost 12 feet wide. Two chariots could ride across it. It was huge. There were homes built into the wall. And God says to the children of Israel, here's the battle plan. No arrows, no swords, you walk around the wall six times. One time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. But the first six, you will remain silent. The seventh time, you will shout, the trumpets will blow, and I will bring victory. Do you think that's a logical battle plan? Think about it from two sides real quick. Think about it from the children of Israel. If I was a man of war, every step that I took right there on the wall, I would be looking up at the top of the wall, seeing when in the world are these folks not going to shoot an arrow down? When are they not going to start throwing stones down? When are they not going to throw a spear? Something that's going to take us out. They didn't. And then think about the folks inside. What in the world is happening? I know God just rolled back this river. I know God has done all these things for this people. I am scared to death. And all they're doing is walking around. 
the victory came. Just as God stated. Immediately after that victory, Joshua tells those men in chapter 7, go look at the land. Go look at Ai, the next city, and get ready for battle. Two facts, two points, two truths this morning. As we look at what I titled the message as, Defeat in the Land of Victory. I don't believe that we're going to have time to look at deception, so we'll just look at defeat this morning in the land of victory. And there's two truths from this passage. The first is this, major consequences occur as sin enters a life. Major consequences occur as sin enters a life. Major consequences occur when sin enters your life. When sin enters my life, when sin enters any life, we see the example right here in Joshua chapter 7 of what occurs. And there are major consequences. Sin enters here on multiple levels. Look there at verse number 1 once again. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard of the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Camry, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. It doesn't state that God's anger just burned against Achan. It says that God's anger burned against the people of Israel. The whole nation sinned. You're like, Brian, how in the world did the whole nation sin? Well... We'll get there. But sin occurs here on multiple levels. Israel broke faith. This was a corporate sin. The whole of the nation is is brought into this sin. It was something that happened to the whole body. And Achan took the items that were devoted for destruction, that of the harem, so to speak. It was greed. It was covetousness. It was theft. I even listened to one sermon that stated that this whole sin of Achan was that of gluttony. You're like, gluttony? I was like, yeah, gluttony. It's like, how in the world? Isn't gluttony like what all those men ate this morning? They, they just tore through. Ladies, it was, y'all know what it looked like because y'all feed us all the time. But man, gluttony, no. Achan saw something that he desired so much. And as he desired it, he wanted more of it. As he desired it, he, um, his saliva started going, not just for food, but for items, for gold and silver and garments. And Achan took those things that were devoted. But the leaders of Israel, Joshua himself, sinned. There was sin of carelessness. Israel went to bed one night victorious, and they got up the next morning ready for a huge victory only to see defeat and destruction come about. There were sins of carelessness. You and I find ourselves sometimes with sins of carelessness. And they were careless because of one other sin. They were careless because there was a sin of prayerlessness. 
You say, Brian, how, where do you get prayerlessness? There's nothing in here that states that they were, they were prayerless. Only this. If Joshua would have prayed, if the leaders of Israel would have prayed between the victory of Jericho and the defeat of Ai, God would have shown them. And you're like, how do you know that? Because as soon as he did pray, immediately he showed him. I wrote for us a uh, quote Got a couple of quotes, but one of them you'll see on the screen behind me from Samuel Chadwick. Samuel Chadwick stated this, The one concern the devil has is to keep you, to keep me, to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless ministries. I love this statement. He laughs at your toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. Samuel Scroggy, a pastor from the 1700s, stated this about prayerlessness. A prayerful life is a powerful life. A prayerless life is always, always a powerless life. Bobby Moore states this about prayerlessness. The staff and I are been walking through a book on his devotional life, and here's what he says, one of the things that he says about prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is when one prays less than he ought. Is that you? Prayerlessness is when one prays less than he ought. Prayerlessness is when one prays less than the Father desires. Prayerlessness is... When one knows that he should pray more, but he does not. The sin of prayerlessness was shown here in Joshua chapter 7. And as it comes about, God is angry. Coveting is a sin. I Call it a gateway sin. It opens the door for so many other sins. It's a subtle sin. Watch out or it will strike you before you even know what's coming. I know what you probably think about as sin. You and I, when we think of sin, we think of others' sin. When you and I think of sin, we think of things like mass murder. When you and I think of sin, you know, it's tax season, so why don't we think of tax evasion? When you and I think of sin, we think of those big ones that are seen out in the open. But do you understand sin? Sin can be a tone of a word. How you respond and how I respond, the tone that we respond. The look that you and I give one another in that moment could be sin. The words that we actually say, yes, sin. The attitude that we have in saying them, yes. The action that we do could be sin or the attitude's response can be sin just as much. Sin is subtle. And when you allow sin into your life, consequences come about. You're like, Brian, God just has it out for me. 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't. God's reasons for not letting you, not letting me, not letting Achan or the children of Israel have the spoils, so to speak, God's reasoning for putting parameters up for your life and my life, just like the children of Israel, is always for your good. Always and forever, He has the very best for you, and He has the very best for me. He's protecting you, protecting me from heartache, from consequences, from hurt, from headaches. If you and I would just listen and follow Him, your sin matters. I know what you think, because it's the same thing that Achan thought. It's the same thing that I've thought before. Oh, this one little sin doesn't have any control over me. Oh, this one little thing that I'm doing at this moment, it will not affect anybody else. When Achan looked inside that tent and he saw the bar of gold, when he saw the silver shining, when he saw those garments, his thought was not, I remember what Joshua said, but it does not pertain to me. His thought must have been, nobody's looking. Students, parents aren't here right now. Parents, cops aren't around right now. Tax guy's not around right now. Nobody knows what's happening. It's not going to bother anybody. It's okay. Sin is subtle. Sin dishonors God. Achan and Israel knew what was supposed to happen and what they were doing and that it was wrong. Sin not only dishonors God, it brings defeat to your brothers. Israel's army was defeated. When you sin, it hurts the whole body. When I sin, it hurts you. When you sin, it hurts me. When we sin, it hurts the greater body, the church. Sin hurts more than one. You're like, really? Yes. When Moses hit the rock, instead of speaking to the rock back in Numbers, he was not able to go into the promised land. But more than that, every time that he spoke after that, the children of Israel were not following the same way they were following before. Read it. It's there. David had an affair with Bathsheba. It's just two people, right? No. It's not just two people. The baby died. Uriah was murdered. Absalom, the son of David, overthrew his dad. David's wives, David's daughters, they were, they were harassed. They were raped publicly, what he did privately. It cost. David was arrogant. He said, I, I'm prideful. I want to see if I measure up to all the other kings. Let's take a census. And he numbered Israel, and God said, don't number Israel, and he did it anyway. It cost 70,000 lives. Sin 
cost others. Sin brings death. 36 warriors of the children of Israel died that day. A whole family died. Fellowship with God was broken. Sin cost us. This past week, I was looking at uh, USA Today, and as I was looking there, I came across a, an interesting title of, of an article. 13 years out of prison, man gets raided by federal marshals. Maybe you saw this, but a man laundered some money. There were state issues and there were federal issues and Mr. Anderson found himself in prison and he served his time for the state what he thought was a the same sentence being served as state and federal he got out on good behavior early from the state and for the last 13 years for the last 13 years he just lived his life building that life back building relationships, getting a job, part of the family. And there was a knock at his door this past week, and eight federal agents came and arrested him. You're like, Brian, what does that have to do? Sin will cost you. Maybe it's 13 years down the road. Maybe it's something that you did 13 years ago, and it is, it's behind you. And you're like, oh, I got away with it. No, you didn't. Sin loves darkness and desires for you to keep it hidden, but it will come to the light. It will come to the light one of two ways. It will come to the light either by you confessing it before the Father. We see that with Joshua. Just a moment, we'll get there and see this second truth. Or it happens and it comes to light through the judgment of the Father. Major consequences happen when you allow sin into your life. I told you at the beginning, bad is bad, but good is good. So we just talked about the bad. Let's talk about the good. Second truth from this passage is this. Getting back on the winning side is the same every time. Getting back on the winning side. Getting back right with the Father is the same every single time. There's no shortcuts. He's not holding things back from us. Getting back on the winning side, coming back to Him, is the same every single time. So no matter if you think that you're defeated because of a marriage you think you're defeated because of finances. You think you're defeated because of sin that has happened in your life. Please know that you have hope. One of two things happens when you sin. How you look at your sin, one of two things happens. We've, we've talked about this numerous times. But one of two things happens. Either you minimize it. You minimize your sin and you say, hey, it's, it's really not. I'm not as bad as, as that Brian Tillman guy down the road. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that bad. So you minimize it. You're elevating somebody else's sin, but you're minimizing your sin. 
And in minimizing it, you try to take yourself out of it. Well, if, if everybody else just knew what he did or everybody else just knew what she did, they would respond the same way I responded. And so you're minimizing your action of that sin. And so you minimize it. Or just as bad. Just as bad and probably even worse. You maximize it. To the point that you say, and I say, there is no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could forgive me because I did this. Even after God says, hey, um, Brian, I acknowledge that and I took care of it. But God, it's this. Oh, woe is me, it's this. And that's what's happening with Joshua right here. I love God's statement. Joshua hits his face. And in in Joshua chapter 5, he hit his face because God was present and it was holiness right there. And he just started to worship. And God said, all right, you keep doing that. Just take your sandals off because I'm in your presence. That's right. You worship. But he hits his face here and God says what? Verse 10. Hey, get up. Get up. It's not woe is me. You're like, really? Yep. Read it with me one more time. Then God said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? In essence, he's saying, Joshua is saying, woe is me. There's no hope. I can't get out of it, Lord. You have allowed this small little city to destroy us. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we just be content to live on the other side of the Jordan? And God's like, um, number one, it's not wrong for you to look at yourself and say, woe is me. Read Isaiah chapter 6. Write that down in your notes and go read Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah saw God, when he saw God, he said, woe is me. So it's not that you can't say woe is me, but your attention and your focus can't be on how bad you are when you say woe is me, in essence, is what God's saying here. Israel has sinned. Understand that, Joshua. Sir, ma'am, you and I have sinned. Understand that. They have transgressed my covenant, those things that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things, those things that were devoted for destruction. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put among uh, their things their own possessions and their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. Until... Verse 13, until you get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Where do you find yourself right now? Are you living in that moment of woe is me? You have maximized your sin to the point that you don't believe God can take care of it? That you have minimized your sin to the point that you don't even think it's that bad? Or do you have a proper perspective of your sin? The passage in front of us this morning talking about getting back is the same way. Getting back on the winning side is the same every single time. And it is coming to full understanding that you have sinned. Laying that sin at the cross. Accepting the price that Jesus paid for your sin. My sin. 
and coming back in fellowship with the Father. Hosea stated it this way in Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. They found, the children of Israel found themselves in a similar spot, meaning that they had sinned against God. And here is what Hosea says to them. Come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn us that he might heal us. He struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Hosea is saying, hey, yeah, there might be a short time of some consequences. Those consequences are real, Israel. Those consequences are real, Riverbend. But those consequences are to turn you back to Him. Because He is there to heal us. He is there to bind us up in a good way. He is there two days later to revive us. To raise us up. Just as He did with Joshua and the children of Israel there. Hosea and the children of Israel then. He desires to do today. Sin affects more than just you. Sin affects the whole nation here. It affects the whole body. Adults, sin affects you. I know you think that you're independent. You think that you can do it on your own. I know that you rear your children in that way, just as I rear my children in that way, oftentimes, just get it done. It's you. But at the same time, every single one of us are a part of the family. And when one in the family hurts, when one in the family sins, it affects all of us. You and I sin. And in understanding sin, there is victory. It's victory the same way every single time. You're like, Brian, you you don't understand. I have sinned for the 489th time. I have sinned for the 712th time. Can I really go back to the Father? Yes. Every single time. No matter if it's the first, the 21st. 4,077th, it's the same thing. For you to receive victory, for you to win the battle, you and I must come to him. Joshua got it. If you read the rest of chapter 7, verse 16 down through the end, he brings Achan out. They stone Achan. They stone the whole family. All those items that were set aside for destruction, they are underneath this pile of rocks. They burn it. And then they go to Ai. And they just don't take 3,000 back up to Ai. No, they put 5,000 on the backside of the city and the rest of the army on the front side, and they win the battle. But I need you to know one more thing about your sin. 
And I pray that as I tell you this about your sin, it will, it will put just, just that stop in us, not in you, in us. The next time that you're tempted to sin, just be reminded of this. The children of Israel, the army of the Lord, of the children of Israel, because of sin, they had to prepare one more time for the same battle. And when you sin, you have to prepare one more time for that same battle. The children of Israel had to walk. They had to toil. They had to get in, in line one more time for the same battle. They had to spend energy one more time for the same battle. More sweat. I wrote this in, in my notes about sin. It's something that you have heard before, I'm pretty sure. Sin takes you farther than you want to go. Sin costs you more than you are willing to pay. Sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. Maybe a couple of things you haven't heard in that little statement. Sin promises more than it can pay. And the point that I'm trying to make with this is Sin drops you off farther away from your destination's place than you want to be. The children of Israel had already been to Ai, but they had to retreat back and then retake some of that land because of sin. When you sin and I sin, and we come back to the Father, and we get forgiveness. He doesn't take away the consequences. Achan and his family still had to die. He doesn't take the consequences away necessarily. But also, you and I have to retrace some steps on the spiritual journey to get back to where we were. Don't make that happen anymore. May you and I not give up ground. Repentance is there. It's there for all those different areas of life. It's there for those big sins that you and I think are huge, and it's there for those subtle sins that you and I uh, oftentimes don't even think about. Repentance, forgiveness is available. Would you and I heed His Word so that victory might be ours again today. Father, we come. God, I, I pray for uh, I pray for the students this morning. I pray for the, uh, the adults. Lord, for, um, for our hearts. When I read a passage or I preach, Something like this, it is so easy, Father, to, to be stuck in the negative. And, and that's needed. I, I know that. But Father, I do pray that you have shown them there is hope. There is victory.
over that temptation that haunts us. There is victory even when we fail. God, would you work in our lives even now? We ask that you would speak to us. God, I ask that you would convict us where we have sinned, where where I've sinned, in those subtle things or in those blatant things, that you would show me that, that I might come before you, seek forgiveness. Father, for the men in this place, the women in this place, We would do that. We would come back to you. We call this a a time of response or an invitation. And the invitation is for you to meet with God. For you to spend some moments as we sing. Maybe you're standing and singing with us. Maybe you're seated in that seat where you are. But you are seeking him to hear from him. Hopefully that's been happening this whole time. He has been speaking. His word has gone forth. But he would speak to you and you would respond. Maybe some of you in this place have never accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. I would love to introduce him to you. Maybe you need to come to the front and just bow at the altar. Pray you come. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. You respond to him. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live Sims.